Hey gang, welcome to episode 91 of the No Persinium podcast, your guide to immersive entertainment. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from Los Angeles. This week on the show, uh, my good friend, Ben Hill, co-founder of the Hollywood Fringe Festival, is here to uh, talk to us about immersive theater at the Hollywood Fringe Festival. Um, I apologize in advance for the show. Uh, Ben and I haven't talked to each other for a while, and... uh, uh, I get goofy. You will hear me do impressions. <laughs> it's pretty much one of the more unmasked versions of me you will find. Also, um, I think we might curse at some point. I, I don't think we got, went really heavily. Ben's a dad now. It's it softened his edges, but not his nerditry any. So uh, if you like random Dungeons and Dragons references, <laughs> boy, do I have a show for you. Um, but first, let's do some news and notes. All right. Number one, there are new editions of L.A. and New York newsletters coming out this weekend. Uh, and they're they're probably going to be busy because, whoa, man, like things have not slowed down in the least around here. Uh, and actually, uh, Albert, um, Albert released an addendum to San Francisco because he found some cool things at the last minute they didn't want to let uh, escape notice, uh, and, um, and, and maybe there's something that, that flipped past the radar that probably shouldn't have. All of that's out there right now, uh, up in San Francisco, Beowulf from We Players is currently running and along with everything else you're going to find in the newsletters out there, uh, in New York currently running stuff you might want to check out, uh, Dark Before Dusk is this, uh, Saturday, the 25th. And it's kind of a smorgasbord event. I, I became aware that it's a smorgasbord event when I found out that Broken Bone Bathtub is going to be one of the things in the building that they're that they're doing. So it's going to be a lot of pop-ups in one place. That's a very exciting format. A very, very exciting format. If you can't tell, I'm a little jealous. And not just on a patron side, but on a on a on a producerial creative side. So really cool format. Uh, one night only. If you're looking to get a taste of sort of what might be out there and, and who's working on what and et cetera, et cetera, maybe, maybe a good place to check out. Dark Before Dusk, Saturday the 25th. Um, pool Play, our good friend Aaron Mee, uh, lovely, lovely Aaron Mee. Uh, it, that's running through April 8th. It got some good notices up in the write-ups. Uh, I know Zay dug it. Um, I know I'm jealous and uh, you know what's what what's more appropriate in the spring than a play in a pool? Um, I can't think of a lot of things. I mean, let's be honest. Um, and like you, you everyone gets to have their feet in the water, so which is which is very nice. So uh, you can find that in the New York newsletter uh, this weekend, uh, and in the last one as well, uh, if you want to get your links on, as it were. Um, I want to talk art installations for a second first in. New York, and then we'll do one in LA, Toilet Papers Paradise, uh, which sounds really, really kick-ass. Also in the New York uh, newsletters, uh, it's up through April 12th, so you're running out of time. That's why I'm mentioning it right now. That's why I pulled it out of the New York newsletter. Uh, you might want to check that out, because I encourage folks, uh, when when we're into this immersive theater stuff, when we're into, if we're into virtual reality, if we're into... Uh, any of these uh, narrative storytelling performance-based immersive pieces, I think it's it's vital that we go and check out the immersive art installations as well, if, especially if you're a creator. But if you're a patron, 
Um, if you're a patron, like there's a difference anymore. Uh, if you're if if you're a fan of this stuff, um, the art installation is stuff can be like really cool, just like on its own, and like give you that sort of sense of the world, and maybe raises the bar a little bit for everybody. So go check out Toilet Paper's Paradise. Uh, I do believe it's free, and it's through the twelfth of April here in LA. Uh, not free. I think it's like around 15 bucks. The 14th factory. Um, some artists have taken over a factory space near Dodger Stadium and they've built a whole bunch of installations in there. I'm really excited to go. I might even go this weekend, uh, this Friday when this is coming out. I don't know yet. It's kind of a busy, busy weekend. That's running through April. Um, the, the, Fiesta Resistance there appears to be they've recreated the sort of um, drawing room from 2001, like when Dave Bowman's like in the monolith and it's like all weird and mod, but like also Victorian or Edwardian or whatever. And and there were no set design plans for this. So someone just like meticulously recreated it based on, you know, observing the film and I've seen photos and it's like, looks awesome. So, uh, yeah, uh, haunt, go haunt that LA. Uh, it's one of those things I wish we could get like a bunch of people to go, but like schedules, hi schedules. Um, also going on in LA right now, this is the last weekend of firelight over at the Stephanie Fury studio theater in Larchmont. Uh, this is a processional piece, uh, that has some really, uh, lovely traversal in it. Uh, like you, you will be, um, you'll be surprised. Some of the most fascinating design I've seen in LA in terms of just, just going all out with it. This is a piece they did a couple of years ago and also did over the winter. And uh, it feels like it keeps evolving. Like I saw it a couple of years ago. Uh, it's it's different now. Like the, the order has changed. Some of some of the scenes have, have been swapped out. So this is kind of like a, a an experiment Stephanie Fury keeps on keeps on playing with. Um, and, uh, it's definitely, it's definitely worth checking out. Um, particularly if you are a space design nerd and you're into traversal and just, there's, there's a lot of delight in that, uh, in the piece. Uh, you can get some more in-depth reviews. I've been written up over at both my haunt life. Hi, Mike and Russell and over at haunting. Hey Taylor. Uh, and, um, yeah, check out what the guys think about the piece. Uh, if you need some more convincing to uh, go give it give it a little tour. Fears what we learned here. Our friend Nick and Megan's piece, uh, Good Old Screenshot Productions, has come down from San Francisco to L.A. That's popping in here this weekend. Just a few slots left, if memory serves. Got a lot of great notices uh, up in SF. And actually, this week, there is a write-up in the SF gate about it, like a feature on it, and it contains two videos uh, that you can view in a 360 viewer. Uh, originally, I thought it was just a Samsung Gear VR, but also the Google Cardboard YouTube uh, function works. So that's something I'm going to be checking out. Uh, bef- I guess I should wait. <laughs> I just realized I'm going in on Sunday. I shouldn't watch the Google Cardboard version until I've seen this show. That'd be a spoiler. But if 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 you need some convincing, or if you can't make it, if you want to you know check it out from a distance, or if you just really want to know like oh wow like someone's someone put um, a 360 video of an immersive theater piece in a news story about that immersive theater piece. I mean, we're we're past some kind of weird line here with that. 
and I'm excited about that. So you might, you, you know, go check that out. Links are in the Facebook and the Twitter feeds. Cavell uh, is sold out. That's Annie Lesser's show. Um, and uh, I believe the whole run is sold out. But I know Annie is starting to look at buyout nights. And yeah, as everyone knows, it's not a cheap ticket. It's $175 for a ticket, uh, but that's three hours and includes the open bar and, and all the performers get paid. Oh, what a shame. Performers get paid. Boo-hoo. People aren't performing for me for free. I don't feel entitled. Oh, boy. I just, sorry. Um, maybe I'm wearing... <laughs> Maybe I'm I'm wearing my heart on my sleeve there, uh, but also at the same time, hey, let me cop to it. I I went and saw a rehearsal because uh, I didn't have the money lying around. So I get both ends of it, believe you me. But that being said, if it is within your budget and it's something you're really curious about and now you're like, oh, I missed it all out. Uh, I'm encouraging Annie publicly, and I told her this last night when I saw her, uh, that she should start taking kind of a list of the people who are interested, and maybe uh, a show can pop up based on if there are enough interested parties who can who can match it all up. Um, and also to work as sort of like a, a fundraiser for future uh, events for uh, the ABC project. So there we go. Um, speaking of fundraisers, uh, I did not put this in the notes, but I remembered it because I said that word. Um, coming up in May, Chalk Rap, the city's LA's best, uh, you know, professionals site specific theater company, been following them forever. They're doing their gala event, uh, their benefit fundraiser, $75 a ticket. They're doing, uh, an immersive night. They've gone immersive. Uh, they're going to try and hit all the senses. I know some of the writers involved in this. Uh, I know uh, Eva is a big immersive theater fan. I run into her at stuff all the time. And so I'm really excited. Uh, Ruth, who's been a guest on the show, uh, she's doing one of the pieces. So I'm, I'm, I'm so curious to see what happens when Chakrap decides to break the veil. Um, particularly because that's like not their bag uh, by choice. So they are choosing to go immersive this time. And Oh boy, I believe it's uh, anesthesia, I believe is the name, anesthesia, look for it in the newsletter, um, oh god, I'll never do that voice again, sorry, um, Kansas Collection is coming up as well, spinning back up, I believe the key comes up this weekend, whoa, really, oh man, it does, uh, the key this weekend uh, the acts next weekend, uh, all charging towards the opening of the door, which is coming up, uh, in next month. So those remounts, you might want to check over with the speakeasy society, see if there's any tickets left uh, for the first two, if you want to get on this train. And I know the train will keep on leaving the station whenever they can, but biggest news, uh, it, all things are go for the third and final part of the Johnny cycle to uh, hit us in May. So Johnny is coming. Um, and I also just want to say, like, the Speakeasy Society at this point, because of the Kansas collection, like, I don't think they've had a dark month yet this year. I think the key started in January. My memory's really shot these days. But uh, I am super, super impressed at what's going on there. Okay, um, now for uh, a tiny, tiny, I'm not going to call this a rant because it, a rant implies anger and I'm not angry at all. I just want to note, um, uh, have you seen Jake uh, closed up this weekend? 
this past weekend. And uh, that was an episodic piece from the company uh, Nocturnal Fandango. Um, I think everyone heard that episode because it's like our most downloaded episode. Um, so if you're listening to the show, odds are you, you've heard it. Um, I won't go into details here because I wrote 3,000 words. <laughs> <laughs> that are at the Medium collection right now, medium.com slash no dash proscenium. Uh, that piece sort of, it tries to like uh, give you a bit of a primer on the Jake experience as a whole if you haven't been following me along with the show uh, or, or read previous editions. And uh, I went deeper in terms of laying out what the night was like than uh, I, I originally intended when I wrote it. Uh, I wrote it over a few hours late into the evening, like the day after I saw the show. And um, I, I called it like the most emotionally ambitious immersive theater piece that's hit L.A., uh, hit the Southland yet. And I stand by that. Um, there was the, there was a, a, an intent here to have a piece that wasn't just uh, telling a story, uh, wasn't just making a statement about the world, but was really trying to move its participants through a process, that process being the grieving process. And um, it's, it was risky. Um, uh, that risk uh, for some people I know did, did not pay off in the early days. Um, that's, that, that's something I hear. That's feedback I've gotten from folks. Um, for those who held through with the experience or who maybe like came on board at the first show, uh, because they did a lot of stuff with alternate reality. Um, and there's a whole thing about, uh, I actually, I coined, um, I coined, I feel so arrogant when I talk in these terms, but it's just part of my personality. Because talking about Jake as an alternate reality game was just wrong. The way I sort of feel that talking about the tension experience or now the lust experience, which is up and running, by the way, and if you want to get involved, probably start following along on Instagram. Um these aren't games. These are experiences. So I've started to refer to these things as alternate reality experiences or ARX arcs because I'm Noah and we Noah's do arcs. Um, but also because the alternate would be ARE, which is R, which just makes it sound like a pirate. So, um, <laughs> I started with AREs cause ARE runs with ARG, but then I was like, mm, no, it doesn't work. Uh, it almost works, but it doesn't work. But anyway, um, I digress, but you'll hear me use that term a lot. Um, the, the live events themselves were just some of the most emotionally grounded pieces I've, I've done, done. And I think a lot of that, it feels like it's coming from someplace for the performers, that it's coming from an honest point. And it's a tight knit crew who's the core of Nocturnal Fandango. They did a talk back this Tuesday with their, with their community and that's something we also haven't seen a lot here in in the community it are those kind of things. So evolving, always evolving. Um, and one note, uh, one last note before we get into this, because this has been a really long opening and I, I almost apologize, but there's been a lot to cover. Um, uh, last night I saw Russell of uh, My Haunt Life. We did the immersive town hall for Fringe and Russell showed up, uh, which is great. Uh, and uh, Russell noted and this is very true that, you know, the, the scene has, has a, a, a liveliness on Instagram. A lot of that I think comes from, um, a lot of the ARG ARXs 
are are using Instagram as a channel. Uh, but images also, you know, they really sing to people. So the community is popping around on there. And I know like I do a lot of reposts for shows, but uh, you can you can really see things popping off there. So keep an eye on Instagram as as one of the main channels. And indeed, no proscenium is on Instagram. I believe or no underscore proscenium on Instagram because nothing's perfect in this world. Um, long opening, like I said, I'm looking at the time. Uh, ben Hill, Hollywood Fringe Festival details and facts and figures and everything. Um, oh, wait a second. Wait a second. Hold on. Hold on. Can't do that yet. Cannot do that yet. There is something that is very important. And that is, I got to thank the people who've joined up on Patreon this week. I'm not going to shill for the Patreon this week. Uh, I'm just, I need to thank the folks. So Nicholas Murphy, Jason Walliner, Stuart Chait, and Aaron Reynolds. That's four. They came in hard. Uh, so thank you all so much. Everybody remember the show is fueled by this. The newsletters are fueled by this. Uh, Patreon.com slash no presidium. Uh, that's not a shill. That's not a shill. Just in case you want to. Um, and I'll save the shilling on the Patreon for the back end of it. But just Nicholas, Jason, Stuart, Aaron, uh, I've met all of you in person. Um, uh, Aaron, I consider to be a friend. I am always flattered and humbled. I think people can tell when they meet me in public that I'm like embarrassed almost by it. Um, I'm I'm just I'm just trying to piece this world together. Okay, this opening is way too long. Ben Hill, Hollywood Fringe Festival. Uh, the fun starts now. <laughs> Hey, Ben, how's Portland treating you? It's fantastic. You know, I, I feel like I pretty much live between two cities at this point because I'm like one week in Portland, one week in L.A. But, you know, uh, so I get, you know, half sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you were the cause of all that rain we had. It, like that it, was you. It's altogether possible. Yes, I, well, I do bring the Portland rain with me everywhere I go. Um, it attaches to people. So but that's good. We needed it. Uh, we definitely needed it. Ben, for the, for those of you um, who who don't know who Ben Hill is, um, Ben, why don't you uh, explain your role in the Hollywood Fringe and indeed what the Hollywood Fringe is? Well, those are good questions. So I, I'm the, no, they're not. They're terrible they're not, questions. I mean, you know, you know. I mean, there's lots of answer to those questions, which to me, my book makes them a very good question. Uh, <laughs> so uh, uh, I'm the founding um, festival director of the Hollywood Fringe. Uh, we conceived of the idea in 2007, which seems like several generations of life a, ago. That was a decade ago. It was, oh and there was God. lots of gray hair ago, too, let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> talk to me about that. And we, we had the audacity to plan something for three years, uh, which was which was quite something. And I was, I was new to L.A. at the time, so uh, uh, I didn't know that you were just supposed to think of something and put it up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but like we ended up planning for three years, uh, a, a practice of planning that we try to instill in our various participants, because, you know, you spend time on something, you think about something, you make it great, and then you launch with something great. That's kind of the thing. But um, yeah. as, as far as what the Hollywood Fringe is, it's, it's based, uh, the model around which we built the Hollywood Fringe Festival is based on a probably the, well, the largest arts festival on earth known as the Edinburgh Fringe. Uh, which has something between like 800 and 1,200 any given year shows happening. Uh, and the, the, the concept of Fringe, as was 
created through the Edinburgh Fringe is that it's a complete and total beautiful free-for-all. So if you have an idea for a show and you have a place to do your show, you can do your show as you see fit without any censorship, without any uh, uh, you know folks in the sky pointing at you and saying your theater is good and your theater is bad. All theater is welcome in the context of a fringe festival. And by by theater, I'm speaking of theater in sort of the higher form, like any anything in the realm of the performing arts, be it dance or cabaret or burlesque or circus or opera or musicals or new plays or old plays or improvised plays or immersive theater are all welcome. Absolutely. Thank you for remembering the type of theater that this is about. <laughs> I, I do. How, how could I possibly forget context for that? Yeah. <laughs> You made me snort. I rarely <laughs> snort on the show. For those who can't tell, uh, and, and I'll try to avoid saying this in the soft open, that's avoiding repeating myself. Ben and I, we, we met the second year of Fringe because you planned it for three years. You dropped it in 2010. Yep. And then I missed it by literally a month. I arrived uh, like the last week of June in 2010 to Los Angeles. And then the next year when you were standing up fringe, uh, I interviewed you and Stacy over at the three clubs, which is one of the, the hubs of fringe, one yep. of the several mini hubs. And, um, we, we hit it off mostly over nerdetry. <laughs> and, uh, and now, and now this is gonna Yeah, folks, this is going to be one of those episodes. So sorry. Uh, <laughs> not sorry. I'm not sorry at all. Because uh, because I haven't seen you in months now, so this is like this, this is literally the most other than like texting about Dungeons and Dragons that we've done in terms of a conversation in about four months. <laughs> it, it is glorious, and now the, your entire listening audience can hear it. So so lucky you guys. Weirdly enough, I think they like these episodes. Like I don't know why, <laughs> but they do. Um, I'm not I'm not laughing at you guys. I'm laughing hopefully with you at me. That's that's how this works. When I it, laugh, it's at me through you anyway. Is this the equivalent of like the Nerdist episodes where Will Wheaton is the guest and the basic <laughs> giggle about shit? Like, <laughs> I think so. I think I think it, it it just might be exactly exactly that. It's like Zay, when Zay and I get together. Zay's the the New York uh, curator coordinator for us, and we've known each other since lightly since high school and became friends later in college. Um, we, um, we, we get really philosophical cause usually there's, cause he's in New York and there's like that three hour time difference. And so he's usually at like 11 o'clock and I'm at eight o'clock. We both have a drink and we just, <laughs> we go weird places and, and people also like those. So I don't know, like there's something, there's something magical about podcasting, but this was about to turn into podcasting about podcasting and that is a sin. So let's bring it back to fringe. Um, there are no limits in terms of what you can do as a, a company, but there are there's a few norms I would say in Fringe, and then there there is kind of a, a a boundary. So I wonder if you could talk about that part of the structure because that's something a lot of people are asking me about right oh, now sure. in terms of doing immersive at the Fringe. Oh sure. So it's like the, there's um, we try one of the things we pride ourselves on at Fringe is that we don't have to say no very much. Like most of the time people can come to us and they say, I, I want to do a crazy clown show where we paint our audience. And we're like, okay, yeah, sure. Go for that. Just make sure they're aware that they're going to get painted. We had a show last year, uh, which was a, a nudist show. They called it Bring Your Own Towel because you, know, you needed someplace to sit. And they said, can we do this? And we said, well, I, by all means. Uh, we had a show that wanted to stage its you know entire performances in a van. Uh, they wanted to do parts of Hamlet in a van and in different parts of the fringe zone 
and they said, can we do this? And we said, oh, by all means, you can do this. The, the only rule we have, uh, because we want to give the fringe a sense of time and a sense of place, I should say, is that it does need to be staged, and I'm using the term staged very, very loosely, within a certain square mile area within Hollywood. Uh, and it's, it's basically what uh, those of us who are quite familiar with Los Angeles would refer to as Hollywood. Uh, uh, if you do your show within these boundaries, uh, be it in a theater or a coffee shop or on the street or in a van or in a bus or in an apartment or in a park, um, then you are fringing. You're happening. Uh, and so, yes, it's complete and total controlled, beautiful chaos within a fixed location. Beautiful chaos with just one rule. Well, I'm going to make you break your rule. Um, <laughs> I was sitting there, sitting on that one the entire time you were talking. Um, so for those of for those who are maybe not, because the LA map can be kind of fuzzy. Like what? What are the are there street boundaries you guys have in your heads? Like, is East Hollywood too far? Is, like, Western too far? Or is, like, Western the border? Like, what is this? Because this is actually something, because there's, there's a few immersive pieces this year that are happening um, in, like, some houses that, that, that already mm-hmm. exist. And people are thinking, like, oh, maybe we'll, we'll take this to Fringe. And I think some of them might be on the, the border and some of them might be across the line. And yet also, at the same time, I see people call parts of Los Feliz... Los Feliz, God, people say it two different ways, and I go back and forth they like do. a jerk. Um, uh, and then sometimes I mash both of them together, and people look at me really funny. And I'm like, I don't know who I'm talking to. Go away. Um, <laughs> here in the feels, I see the feels sometimes. Uh, that's what I call it. It makes it easier on me. Uh, described as East Hollywood, right? Yes. So like, it's like, and I live in Thai Town. And people are like, oh, that's East Hollywood. And it's like, well, no. When I look at the LA Times map, it's it's Los Feliz. But um, so what what is what are those boundaries? And That's thank really you. Thank you for riffing for a while because you gave yeah. me an opportunity to bring up the article with the daughter. So <laughs> see, I um, knew you were doing that. I wasn't, <laughs> see, I wasn't just being my, my normal idiot self. Um, so more people unsubscribe, unsubscribe, unsubscribe. I can feel it. We had a great episode last week. We had we had someone from Lucasfilm's X Lab on. We had like the executive ooh. in charge. Yeah, you're you're, you're following up a, 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 one of our bigger gets, and instantly people are just going to be unsubscribing because of me. So well, well uh, did did, did, did you, just, just side note? Did the, mm-hmm. the Lucasfilm people perhaps mention anything about a potential Monkey Island uh, <laughs> sequel? By any chance? People keep on asking me if like, did you talk about LucasArts? It's like, no, we did not talk about LucasArts. Come on, man. We talked about because I was there to talk about like VR and immersive theater stuff and the way they collided. You should listen to the episode though, Ben. You really should. You should. You should see what kind of show you're on. Has it dropped so, yet? Or are we yeah. in the future? Okay. I got no, it. it dropped. It dropped. Like we're recording this on Saturday, March 18th. It dropped on Friday, March 17th, and this will air, uh, I believe, the 24th of uh, of March. So. Well, that's great. That's fantastic. Yeah. So we are talking to the future right now. We are talking in the future to the future. Oh my God. Hi, guys. The future of Fringe. Yeah. <laughs> so to answer your question from about 15 minutes ago, um, <laughs> the, uh, as far as where is the uh, – in, in a two-dimensional world, haven't considered the three-dimensional world, uh, but in the two-dimensional world, our northern boundary is uh, Franklin Avenue, uh, famous for uh, the – the Magic Castle, I guess. Um, yes. And uh, our eastern border is Normandy um, uh, Avenue, famous for, uh, I don't know, I think, I think the 
CD13 offices there. On the uh, south, we have Melrose Avenue, famous for, you know, the show. And on the western boundary, we have Gardner Street, where I used to park with my dog when I went to Runyon Canyon Park. So <laughs> those are the boundaries, Franklin, Normandy, Melrose, and Gardner. That's I now know that w- one show that was thinking about it uh, is in boundaries and one show is just outside because they're at Vermont, uh, but beneath Franklin. So they're like on the other side of it and, and they literally can't move. But, um, you know, there's, there, well, who knows? They may talk to you. I don't know. Well, yeah, then reach out to us. And I'll say this to anyone who is having any questions or thoughts or issues. We, we have a fancy new support portal right now. Um, uh, support, support.hollywoodfringe.org. And that's Hollywood Fringe, not French. Easy to confuse, F-R-I-N-G-E, like the show with the cast of Dawson's Creek, that one. Uh, so, uh, and you can also email us at support at hollywoodfringe.org. And we'll absolutely answer your questions. We try to accommodate as many requests as possible because much like Bill Clinton, we don't like to say no. So by all means, get oh, goodness. <laughs> Wow. Hey, we just went there. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> we're, we're, we're technically a non-political show, but like that's—I guess that's technically a '90s reference. So, it like, was. we do do retro. It was retro. It was a '90s reference, and I wasn't speaking about his political policies so much as his personality. <laughs> <laughs> I did not fringe with these people. So, <laughs> so let's talk about let's let, let, what's what's the advantage. I mean, I could talk about this a little bit, but I have you on the show, so I must well have you do it. Bye. What's the advantage for someone who's who's doing a show? Because the fringe, you know, to one the the deadline, if I remember correctly, for registration is April first. It is, which is coming up rapidly. So if anyone's thinking about it right now, they've got like basically when this drops, they got like a week to like, no, I'm doing it. Like less less than a week, really, just a few days. Um, so if, they, if they're like waffling at this point, um, what? What's the advantage? Because they got to pay a little money to get into the to the the, the catalog. Yep. Um, yeah. What, what's what's the benefit? What's of, the benefit? Of why fringe? Why my? Why do three hundred shows every year decide? Hey, this fringe thing is a good idea. Well, okay. Well, there's depending on what you're looking to get out of it. I can, there's multiple different angles. Like there is a financial angle, and the the financial there is for those who are. Um, have produced theater in the past, especially in this extraordinarily expensive place called Los Angeles. Um, you you really put your your neck out there. Uh, like if you're doing like a multi week run, you're renting a theater for you know part or the entire time. You're doing your own marketing kind of in a vacuum with with no organization to get your back, and you could easily be out many thousand dollars to tens of thousand dollars to in some cases hundred thousands of dollars if you're doing a particularly expensive musical that ends up not working out um in the french festival first uh your rent to venues is significantly smaller because you're working with venues you know that are you know pretty much used to uh having six or seven or eight shows in a given day and rather than renting the space out by the week or the month, they're renting it out basically by the hour, right? Um, and then additionally, you have this giant, you know, supportive 
organization that truly loves you and wants to see you succeed that's doing a lot of marketing for you and bringing people in. Um, so, you know, you get in the guide, you get on the website, people are flipping it through. They say, oh, that little bit of immersive theater looks particularly interesting. I think I'll check that out. And then you have these people that come to the Fringe every year and now they're seeing your show. And we give you all of the, you know, the contacts uh, that, that don't opt out from being included uh, to you. So you can put them in your MailChimp or your, you know, your particular e-newsletter of system of preference to keep in touch with them and pull them into future shows. So we're helping you build your audience. And this is really important uh, to know, unlike almost every other type of festival on earth, in the Hollywood Fringe Festival, we give you back 100% of your box office. So we don't keep a dime. We give you everything back. So there's an aspect of a low, um, a, a, a low cost of, of theater, uh, of joining. Um, there's the aspect of building those audiences. There's the aspect of being able to make all that money back. Uh, and then there's an aspect of, and, you know, this is elusive, but important, of just fun and community and good times. Like when I was in college I at um, the University of Maryland a thousand years ago, I threw legendary theater parties because theater people, arts people are the best people on earth. Married one, all of my friends are theater people pretty much since I was born. And I know what a beautiful, supportive, wonderful community the theater world can be. And for the month of June, you get to fringe and be a part of what I say and believe is the most supportive community in Los Angeles arts, where everyone wants to see everyone succeed. And we have one singular rule. And it's the only thing that can get you ejected from the fringe. And that, that rule is simple. Don't be a jerk. Uh, as long as you are not a jerk, you are welcome with open arms into the community. And you have the opportunity for fun and creation and adventure and finding future partners and collaborators. And it, for a lot of people in the arts that do it, can keep coming back year after year after year. To them, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's, it's Christmas in theater, basically. So. Yeah. Um, th th I think those are the, the major reasons why people tend to participate. And I'll, and I'll say with, with absolute certainty that everything you just said about the community is, is true. It's, it's not hyperbole. Um, there's, there's few places that are more enjoyable to be than to be at Fringe during June in Los Angeles. There's a palpable energy um, I've discovered a lot of fascinating work. Like before we were, I was doing No Proscenium, I was covering it f for my day job, and uh, which was like, it was very blessed to be able to do that. And I, I've tended to focus on a lot of the experimental works, shock. Um, <laughs> and and there was such fascinating work that was coming out of, of those, you know, the different parts of Fringe. Um, and some of those people have gone on to like, you know, be mentored by Marina Abramovic, uh, who's this, you know, famous performance artist. Uh, they've, people have, you know, won awards here in Los Angeles. They've toured shows out of L.A. And there's been a couple of, you know, great, I mean, Hamlet Mobile, which you were describing earlier, which won the Indicates Design Award last year. Uh, Annie Lesser's work first appeared at the Fringe that was getting to know you like two Fringes ago. Um, and, you know, really, she got she got on the map and like Bill Raiden always coming back around um, because he fell in love with her work, Bill Raiden of, of uh, LA weekly. And it's, it's just a, a, a great 
it's like a petri dish. Like fringe to me feels like a science experiment gone wrong slash right. <laughs> like so much is happening, and the word of mouth like spreads like wildfire. Um, and if a show has any merit whatsoever, suddenly everyone wants to go see it. Um, that's that's the, the the biggest thing for me, and it and, and it's got that festival vibe. Um, I've you know I've seen other arts festivals that don't have the festival vibe. It just feels like it's this catalog of stuff that's going on. Like I don't know what to do, uh, but you guys have really managed to like create, and it hasn't always been easy, mm-hmm. uh, but to create that communal hub and get that word of mouth flowing. And people have definitely made their mark because of it. Um, Focusing on the immersive for a second here, um, you know, what, what have you seen, uh, and not necessarily seen show, because I know like during Friend itself, you're usually just like working, yes. <laughs> but like from, from your perch, um, what have you sort of observed in terms of the, this emergence um, of, of this um, genre, for lack of a better term, where we have a hard time figuring out like what is it that we are yeah. uh, in the past couple of years? And it's so cool, right? I mean, it... it... Not, not that I have anything against the so-called proscenium, as I grew up under the holy arches of theater, as it were. Uh, but seeing people find new forms and explore new forms, and of course, some are going to absolutely fall on their face and be disasters, but that's okay. Because in the grand march towards genius, there are potholes, uh, much like Los Angeles. Uh, There's sinkholes now, Ben. We do sinkholes now. (laughs) Exactly. There are sinkholes on the great march towards genius. Uh, uh, So, and you know, we've, in the past year, we've seen uh, folks starting to experiment in, in virtual reality. And that's pretty exciting. People taking environmental type theater to a new level. Do you know how cool it is to be walking between one theater and another and just to suddenly see a bunch of ballet dancers in the middle of like a basketball court surrounded by eager and sort of bewildered onlookers? It's it's like art is everywhere. Art is taking over the streets. It, and that's really like where we wanted to take the fringe. I don't think we're there yet. I mean, yeah, we have 300 shows and 1,500 performances and millions and millions of dollars given back to artists and all those things are fine and great. But I think that the true dream is to have that month where truly like the circus performers have taken over the city. It's like that last scene from The Greatest Show on Earth where they're all marching on the town and they have that immortal words about you can shake the stardust off your feet, but you can't shake it out of your heart. You know what I'm talking about? But it's like that aspect of the world is a fucking circus right now, right? And everything is just coming up crazy. Uh, That's, I think, and it's so rare and wild in a place so spread out like Los Angeles to see this sort of force. So I think where immersive theater can really, why we're really courting immersive theater right now is because we want to break out of the proscenium. Like we want to keep that obviously because I love seeing shows in theaters. A lot of people love seeing shows in theaters, but I want to see it grow beyond the theater as well. I want it to take over not just the dark spaces, but the light spaces, right? Mm. Um, And I, I think that that's what's happening right now and, and you, you say like yeah you know, the west end is the west end uh and broadway is broadway and you think how can the theater of los angeles be a beacon in the world and i think that we're really ahead here 
on this immersive theater thing. And I would love if, if, if folks could come and be a part of the fringe and really be the vanguard and know that we will absolutely champion you in this respect and support you in this respect. Uh, so, because that's our dreams is this. So let me, let me put you on the, on the spot. So mm. as I'm recording this one, I know that, you know, Matt Quinn, who's a, one of the producers, uh, prolific producers at the fringe and yes. he has, controls the asylum spaces. Um, and, uh, he and I, you know, if, if all goes according to plan, like the night before this drops, he and I will have done an unofficial town hall. Fringe has official town halls, which are gatherings for the whole community, but we're doing a little unofficial one about immersive. And we, you helped us get it up on, on the ticketing site and we were giving out the tickets for free and we were fully RSVP'd like two weeks before the event. Right? So just, it's, it's, it's a small space. So there's only like 35 people coming and I don't know how many of those are, are, you know, would be producers and how many of those are people who are like trying to like figure out what this is. Um, I'm excited by the idea that maybe it's, it's all just producers. Mm-hmm. Um, um, that would be amazing. <laughs> but what I'm putting you on the spot on is, is do you have a sense of, of who's registered so far uh, who's sort of declared their, their intention on immersive? Well, yes. um, right now, um, we have a handful of immersive shows and, uh, uh, of course, like I could just read you the list right now, if, if that's what you want, because like this is available to anyone who wants to go and see the shows that have registered. Like it, there's one called confessions of an Arab woman by NW productions, one called fallen stars at the charity sale by some company, good name guys. Uh, one called in a room with Bronson by travelers theater and one called Here's one. John Stamos is my baby daddy and pitching power lips by Awkward Hug Productions. Um, so, like, obviously we still have uh, half a month left, and that half a month is giant. Like, we've gotten 150 shows registered in that half a month. So if, right. you are on the, if, if you're on the edge and thinking, like, I have an immersive piece, I don't know if it's going to necessarily fit into the fringe, first of all, I promise you it will. I guess pretty much everything fits into the fringe. And if you have any, again, if you have any questions or if you're on that edge, you want to talk more about it, like we're very chatty on support and we'll help you through anything. So support at hollywoodfringe.org. We will like help you get in uh, and enjoy yourself uh, and have a good time, you know. So, uh, so, so yeah, uh, I'd definitely like to see this list grow and grow and grow as we near the, the registration deadline. Yeah, I know. I think there's a, f- a few of the, the usual suspect companies are – are looking and uh, are probably going to jump in uh, just about any second here, maybe even while we're talking, who knows, which which would be kind of like awesome. Um, So yeah, it looks like, it looks like we'll definitely have like the category represented this year in, in a real way. Um, Let me, I mean, there's, there's so many roads um, from this point. I got one for you, Noah. And here's kind of a big thing is that every year we have a, a, community voted award right uh it's like best in ensemble theater best in dance and physical theater best in musicals and opera on and on and on and as this will be the first year that we have an official immersive theater category will also be the third first year that we will have a winner uh in the immersive theater category in the context of the fringe awards so um, as, as this will be one of the smaller categories, it's, it's probably its first year. If you join, you have a good, and have a great show. You have a very good shot of ending, taking an award away with you. So if you wanted an additional reason to join, 
leaving with a pretty prestigious award and the first of its kind might be one of them. Mm, there you go. That's yeah. that's a that's a that's a big thing right there. Indeed. Um and I want to since since we're on the topic of of, of awards uh, and 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 the prestige, you know, I want to I want to fire this shot across the bow because people know I I hold pretty strong on the I word, and this is something I'll be talking about at the Thursday night, you know, um, uh, unofficial town hall, which is there for some of you out there um, who probably aren't listening to this show, so I'm talking into the void here, but for people who are who are looking at producing Fringe and if they're they're just looking to kind of like, you know, I don't want to be mean about it, but the I word is very alluring as a marketing buzzword. But I will tell you, uh, honest and true, that the immersive fan base is a real thing and they they know what it is they're looking for. So if someone's looking to do basically a, a one person show that would look like any other one person show. Um, or they've got a, a burlesque troupe thing going on that would look like, you know, a great cabaret or burlesque troupe thing. There, there are categories that exist for you already. Um, and you should go in those categories. Um, and you know, if you want to compete, compete there. Um, not because immersive is an easier category to compete in, uh, but because the immersive fan base will drag you mm. to use the kids' terms these days. Like if if you come if you come on our street and say I'm immersive and you're and you're not immersive, um, and it's still it, yes, it's a hard thing to find. Um, you 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 risk getting bad word of mouth, uh, and I've seen. I've I've had amazing companies here in Los Angeles, like truly amazing theater companies, use the I word, and um, their work is great, but it's not immersive, and we all kind of leave crestfallen because of it. Uh, whereas if they position themselves into being what they what they are, uh, and indeed when when they when they do do that, uh, we leave elated. Um, there's there's. Plenty of good categories. Uh, so really, you know, think about and, and mind you, I'm someone who wants there to be an immersive category at the fringe, like very much so. And I'm excited beyond belief that there's going to be an award, an audience award for uh, immersive. Um, that's that's so valuable. It's one of the probably one of the first awards for immersive there is. Um, but I, I, I really I'm going to be a little bit of a purist here and say, you know, think think about, you know, are, are, are you doing this because you have a show concept that calls upon the disciplines that make up immersive or are you like, oh yeah, there's this, yeah, like my, my show's really going to move people. That's immersive. <laughs> um, no, no. I know there are people, there, there are, there are theater people in the world who say like, yeah, my show's immersive because I, I, I touch people's hearts. It's like, that's called good theater. <laughs> if, you're, if you're moving someone, that's just good theater, man. And like, look, I'll tell you, there are immersive shows that don't do that. They're not good immersive shows, right? Uh, they're not good theater, but they were immersive. So just, you know, I, I'm, I'm adamant about that to almost an, an insane degree because um, there is something very different about a show that that doesn't just breach the fourth wall for the sake of, you know, now an actor is going to talk, but draws you fully into the world of the show. Mm. And this is something that, that our show talks about. So for those of you who are fringers who may be listening, and that's, that's this is what this message is for, because inevitably and hopefully there's some folks who like are 
you know, they're fringers who are immersive curious. So this is why I'm ranting at you right now. Like, look at some of the stuff that we talk about, um, you know, in our in, in the essays we do at Medium and some of the other, you know, discussions at the show. You know, check out the interviews we've done with, um, you know, Lauren Ludwig and Monica Miklas of Hamlet Mobile, who've been at the Fringe. Check out the folks from Shine On Collective, who've been at the Fringe. Check out our interview with Annie Lesser. Or some of the other LA luminaries like the Speakeasy Society, and you'll you'll get a sense of you know what goes into the work, and it's the the heart of it is really you're designing for the experience that you're giving the audience. You're not performing for them; you are building a, a world that they're a part of, and there's there's all kinds of room within that in terms of how much agency you give them in terms of how active a role they're playing in terms of whether or not they're they are a character or they're they're an observer but if you're not asking any of those questions and it's and it's just like oh we're we're in we're we're in a room and we're talking directly to them and and questions of agency uh haven't even come up in your process you're probably not doing immersive work um it's it's really it's as I always come around to, there's no set answer, but there are a set of questions that you ask yourself while you're building this. Uh, and if you're having those dialogues with yourself, then yeah, you're doing the work. Is there uh, an I, immersive like manifesto anywhere to bring like the isms <laughs> of the day? Like, does that exist? Well, Ben, you'll really appreciate this. There are, um, I believe I have two art. It's been a while, like a couple of years ago. I wrote and posted on Medium at medium.com slash no dash proscenium two different articles um, that are that are basically uh, glossaries um, of terms. So there's one thing that's called the no proscenium glossary for artists, artists. And then uh, there's another thing that I call the player's guide to immersive theater. And Ben, you'll love it because the photo is of my uh, role-playing game collection. So the D&D Player's Handbook, Mage, and Star Wars are on there along with my dice. dice. That's a photo I took. Um, and it is, it is an essay. It's not aimed at it's, – it's aimed at um, audience members, actually. So it's aimed it – was, it was always addressed to them. And I don't bring it up all that often, but it, it's the first thing I did. And I wrote this back in 2015. Uh, so it's two years old now. Um, and it's sort of like you, here's what you should be looking for when you're, when you're doing immersive. And, and I framed it as a player's guide. Um, and I always meant to write at some point a dungeon master's guide <laughs> to immersive theater or the game master's guide to immersive theater, yeah. uh, the, the natural sequel. Um, and, and you can think of the glossary as being the part that's at the back of the book. Um, and then I have other ideas. There's other essays in my head that I won't, they won't spoil. I'll talk to you about it offline. Uh, you, you'll really appreciate some of the places my brain went that I never got around to like fully writing, but, um, that there, I think, I think it still, it still holds up. Right. Um, and the the glossary I think is really it's it's the glossary is easily accessible. It's actually got a dedicated link at the top of the No Persinium uh, Medium page. Um, and in that one, I you know I, I give a definition of immersive, um, of interactive, sandbox, dark ride, like all the sort of terms. It's short too. It only takes it's like a two minute read, right? But like pretty much any of the terms that you'd normally find me using on the show, as if we were all clued in on this. And a lot of those terms are derived from like theme park design or video games. Sandbox comes from video games, right? Mm, you know, sure. it's as simple as 
it's you know, sleep no more is very famous it's a sandbox if you drop a bunch of people into a room and you and almost no rules and just be like mm, go wherever you want to go you're 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 in the dialectic of a sandbox if you have a pathway through you know an experience that folks are um are taking um you you may very well be on a dark ride um which it's it's an ordered experience and then there's you know then there's you know, promenade pieces and there's things like one-on-ones, but all of it at the end of the day, it's, it's about, it's always about questioning the relationship between the audience and the performers. Like it, it does something different. It's not the simple dialectic of I'm sitting down and I'm watching someone perform. Um, that, you know, can be, that can be like site responsive or site adaptive theater. And that's something I'm definitely interested in seeing. And indeed for the, for the purposes of the fringe, I think that belongs in the immersive category. Um, but, but even then it's, it's about, it's about these non-traditional relationships between the performers, the audience, the space. It's, it's asking these big questions. There's also a great series of articles by, um, now that I've done two to my own fricking horn, uh, <laughs> Michael Tara Garver did, a, I think, a five-piece series for HowlRound. And if you're a theater nerd, you know what HowlRound is. If you're sure. not a theater nerd, it's out of Emerson. Uh, it's sort of like the, the maybe like the biggest theater blog online um, coming out of that school. And uh, she did, I think, a five-part series about the senses. So like each one looks at a, a, a different sense. And that's another thing that you're probably thinking about when you're designing immersive. You're not just thinking about blocking. You're not just thinking about light. You're thinking about textures and smells, sounds, not just in terms of what your mix is going to be, but like where are things coming from? What's the tone, you know, the tonal qualities, textures, I think I said already, taste. Are people eating something or drinking something? How does that heighten or, 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 or limit the experience? All that sort of stuff is part of the palette and, and the, the playbook here. Um, it's like multidimensional performing arts like it, it's not yeah. just your eyes and your ears it's utilizing all of of the, the very senses and sort of inventing new ones that could conceivably amplify your audience and participant i should say experience yeah and that's and that's really and and that's what's sort of fun about it you never know and and it's not like it's a checklist right and i and i think that a lot of people approach this stuff like it's a checklist like oh making sure they're drinking something. Oh, making sure that they uh, hold on to this blanket for a second, like all those sort of things. And when when I go to a piece, I can kind of see that going on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It has to be punching through, right? Like it, it always comes down to the fundamental question of like, what, what do I want people to take away from this? Like, what is it that I want people to walk out of my experience? kind of feeling and it doesn't even have to be definitive it can be the question right mm-hmm. it's like i want to move them into a space where they're thinking about this stuff and feeling these feels um and and knowing that you have the permission to do that directly um totally last, totally for, oh, for, for, for me that what what divides great theater from average or bad theater in my own subjective experience is Am I fundamentally transformed for having seen it? Is the person who went into the theater and the person who left the theater or the performing space or what have you different somehow, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it's, and it's the only real medium, at least for me, that has ever been able to enact that transformational experience because it assaults me 
on all senses. So yeah. giving it more avenues of invasion, right, uh, through this immersive emerging art form, to me, is making theater more relevant. It's yeah. making theater more transformative. And it's, it's, it's making theater. There's a great line. It's like, what is it? It's like theater is life, film is art, and television is furniture, right? Uh, so <laughs> it's like theater is, theater is life. Theater, yeah. theater, theater is real. It's in front of you. And like, I felt that very palpably because I just took my daughter, Ada, to one of her first shows. And she'd been to movies and, you know, and stuff like that, in movie theaters. But this is her first show that she managed to sit through and to, to see oh, how, well, like sort of in like, like, it's like a science experiment with kids sometimes, right? As you see, like, mm-hmm. how does the movie impact them? How does the show impact them? And you can see, like, she was present and she was right there and she was blown yes. away by the fact that they were people right up there on stage. Theater has that power, right? Yeah. And theater yeah. seems to be... Uh, with the exception of a few West End and Broadway shows, also of all the various art forms, the least likely to sell out to crap and you know star chasing and all this sort of thing is you see real actors, real people doing real things that match real life so much that it almost feels like you're getting punched in the stomach. It's so close to your own life. It has that power over us. Yeah. Well, and I think I think a critical thing, something that I'm really tuning into these days, is this idea that. You know, in in a in theater, you'll feel this. You know, in in good theater and immersive, it almost feels like it's a it's a requirement. This idea that you know the performers they they really need the audience there. They need they're trying to make a human connection to uh, the people who are there. And and at root, they need mm. them to listen, mm. and they need that feedback. So that that thing that an actor feels on stage, and I'm, I'm dropping back into like my old training, right? An actor will often feel a relationship with the audience, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like you come off stage and you're like, oh, I really felt them tonight, right? And and for actors in immersive, like that's where the adventure begins. Yeah. It begins right there at that moment. It's like, what is this relationship I'm having, not just with the audience as a mass, but with individual members of the audience? And it's and it's about them seeking validation, them seeking an emotional connection, them needing to be heard, and and maybe them needing to see it reflected back. You'll you'll often find immersive is interactive and can be conversational. So you can have the one on ones. You know, this is something that happens in Hamlet Mobile uh, a lot. Um, and the genius there is that these are conversations that on one hand are scripted. There are, there are talking points that the performers are moving through, but those talking points include uh, questions that become these ellipses, these lacunas for the audience to fill in with. And the performers are then able to take that and can kind of massage it into what they do next. Yeah. And I've seen you know, Hamilton in particular, I've seen some of the same pieces twice by different performers and they'll have a different style of, of doing that technique and both of them feel fully authentic. So like, um, I'm specifically thinking of, uh, there's a piece in Hamilton called, uh, the Gravedigger hot boxes, the van. And a big <laughs> part of it is a, is a conversation with, uh, one of the characters, uh, um, who in this case is playing the Gravedigger as he's repairing the van. And 
um, you have this conversation about mortality with him. I've done it twice with two different performers, and both of them were incredible conversations, and both of them felt very different, and yet we were still covering the same territory, and indeed covering some of the same language on their part. And it takes on this kind of dreamlike quality to it. Um, And I say that, and I'll instantly turn around and say, like, and you don't have to do that for it to be immersive. You know, you're not checking off the list. Do the actors ask a question of the audience and the audience, you know, I, um, I'm seeing people approach it that way and it just, it can clunk. It's like, oh, we've got to ask them questions. It's like, no, not if you don't really feel like it, you know, like maybe you just need them to listen, you know, right? Like the, like the time that like, you know, like you just really need your mom to listen to you and that's how the scene gets played. But, but in general, the audience is the actor's scene partner in an immersive. Um, that's, that's how I always feel about it. And that's that's that, so great. That's, that's yeah. So, yeah. There, there's a, there's a, you know, practices in theater that encourage you to ignore the audience uh, or pretend they don't, are not there. And to me, like, as you say, like that wasn't when I was on stage, that was never my experience. And I was always palpably aware of the fact yeah. that there was an audience out there and there was a real communion of energy to the point where it was almost like a religious service. And oh God, yeah, you know, it's oh, like it can, it, it's like a church in a lot of ways that people it, go to the theater. It's it's more than entertainment. It's a oh, yeah. form of catharsis. I mean, it, oh it, God, yeah, you know, and 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 being on stage and being in the audience when you're really into it, like you're all there. Like sometimes, you know, it, 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 it it's like someone's getting murdered on stage, and you can like feel like the violence and the blood, yeah. or like. Unlike like the the silence, it's like seeing a great pinter work or something like that. It's like the violence is in the silence, and that's yeah. tearing you apart. Um, I just saw Ed Harris and Buried Child in London uh, on the West End, and I was like second row, and I was utterly and completely blown away with with the presence of not just him but the other actors on stage. It's like. You're there and you leave. It's like the first time I saw Long Day's Journey into Night at, at Arena Stage in D.C. You leave feeling as if you've been punched over and over and over again, which I understand might not be the best marketing campaign. <laughs> like, come to the theater. You'll feel like you've gotten the shit kicked out of you. But like, Come to the theater and feel like Ed Harris punched you, exactly. which is that's, that's something – I think people would pay more for that. I think they would too. I I I pay to get you know punched you know on the stomach by Ed Harris, so I can like you know <laughs> write about that in my autobiographies. But you know it's 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 like absolutely you know that's what's so magical about it. And with immersive, giving all these different lanes to yeah. make that experience as a patron in a theater or a participant in a theater, um, I think that's really where the future is with with theater. It, there's, there's such a, it, it is, it always feels to me like it is a clear reaction to how mediated our lives are. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, I mean, one of the things I like to say is like we carry these little prosciniums around in our pockets called our phones and we, we view the whole world through them. And like the most crazy, intense shit in the world comes through our, these little magical devices. And it often feels more real than the world right in front of us. Like our emotions are really poured in there, right? Like you got to argue with that person on Facebook. You got to argue with that person on Twitter. Right. You, you got to know uh, what's going on in politics right now. You got to find what's the latest video game to buy. Like, yeah. and I've, I've, and I I don't say that as someone judging. I have felt every single one of those emotions. And why I'm why I 
and this evangelist for this form is that it is the exact opposite of that. Mm. It is it is very much about you know Yoda where you are, hmm, what you are doing, hmm, mm. right? It's yeah. straight up that and presence. You talked about you know talked about Ada feeling you know what you know whether she was present or not. Yeah. You know we in, in VR we talk about presence. It's very much the same thing here in immersive. Immersive is about the art of presence. And, you know, when you're saying, you know, that, that the schools of thought that say that, you know, you shouldn't be connecting, you know, with the audience, right? Like ignore them, pretend they're not there. When I go see a show now, particularly if it's an immersive, you know, marketed show, or, or maybe it's a processional or something like that, and I can feel the veil of worlds between the performers and me, mm-hmm. like, I, I can't get into it the way that I can get in if if they're just pulling me in even just a little bit, right? Like, you know, the sense that I don't get off on the voyeuristic part, you know, like, and it's a powerful tool. And there are some very successful shows that are playing on the voyeuristic. And one can easily say that Sleep No More, for instance, is really in the voyeuristic. I mean, they give you the mask and that's your proscenium. And that's sort of the genius of that show. but what's fascinating, of course, is the thing people always talk about at Sleep No More is about the one-on-ones. This actor pulled me into a closet, and they took my mask off, and they kissed me. And then then I wasn't sure whether or not that was like part of the show or not. So then I like stalked them on Facebook and asked them a question. This is a story I heard from someone else the other night. But let me tell you, I've felt similar things where that line between the performance and reality starts to blur. And I'm like, did I make a human connection or not? I don't know. And you start to like wig out about it a little bit. That happened to me famously at the Grand Paradise. I I talk openly about that to the point where, um, you know, I went back. I wasn't intending to see that show twice last time I was in New York, but I bought a ticket for like the two nights later and and not a cheap ticket either. And I, I and it wasn't me trying to reclaim the glory. I was really like, okay, I want to go down a different track and see if like a similar emotions get get pulled up. And I wound up going down on the same track that I'd been on before. Uh, in part, and I, and I started re-encountering the actor that I'd had those experiences with, and I started to get like nervous because mm. I was worried that they thought that I was stalking them. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm not stalking you, Lauren Moraski. I swear, you know, maybe I know what your name is, but I'm not stalking you. And like, and there was this, this moment where we're going through, and like we came to a door marked exit, and I was like, Oh my god, she's kicking me out of the show! I didn't mean to. And then we just walked back in, and that exit was just back to the room that we'd already been in. But for one brief shining moment, I thought like, oh crap, I've accidentally broken the social contract of this show. <laughs> and I posed myself. And I wasn't even trying to like get back into the room where you have a one-on-one with her. Like I really, I, I, I wanted different experiences and I just, the luck of the draw put me where I was. Um, but it, it starts to mess with your mind. Um, in, in in a way, and it doesn't have to be even like a deliberate point from the you know for the the creators. They don't have to be like I'm going to try and mess with their mind, right? You know, it can. It's really just about can I make the person present in the moment? Do, do you know what I would in, love to see some theatrical entrepreneur do? Um, is that if there were some place in the world, preferably close to where I am regularly. That it's just like, let's call it like, just for example, like a hotel or something, mm-hmm. right? And you go in the hotel and the conceit is, 
is that it is an immersive theater. It is a like a you know like a nine to five or however long immersive theater experience. Like you go in and it's a normal hotel or whatever it appears that, but there are all of these subplots and intrigues that are constantly happening, and everyone there you can talk to and the conceit is that you play along and you could go up to various rooms in the hotel and walk in and be a part of some of these little bits of drama so it's not like come to our show at 8 p.m on a saturday and experience this for an hour but it's something that just exists that you can walk in and just experience that then i miss westworld too <laughs> Maybe that's what I'm talking about, man. Maybe I'm just talking about West Westworld here. But, but, you like, know, but it's, it's been very the, the Westworld was incredibly valuable because, like, suddenly I I could talk to people who hadn't seen immersive theater um, and not have to talk about Disneyland yes. necessarily. Not that I'm talking about Disneyland vis-a-vis this stuff. Yes. But and I think there's some shows. I think I think there are some shows right now that kind of have a bit of that vibe, but definitely have like the veil of the fourth wall mm-hmm. really, really in place. And for me, I just have a hard time connecting, right? Like if, if the veil is really thick between worlds, and I know that I know that sometimes the veil has to really be be in place because if you're, you're trying to tell a story, you can't have someone running up and like, no, I'm going to take control of it now. And it's, it's definitely, and this is the beautiful thing about this kind of design is it's definitely more art than it is science right now. It's yeah. something you have to feel your way through, but to like bring it back a little bit to like fringe again, these are the kinds of questions as weird as they are that you should be considering. And if you're, if you're not having these kind of questions with yourself, if you don't think this stuff sounds cool, then you're probably not messing around with immersive. Um, you might be messing around with a processional. You might be doing something site adaptive or site specific. Fantastic. Uh, you know, those things still belong uh, and research it. But you know, if it's just like if it's just a show that would you know be like a one person show or a cabaret piece. Uh, and maybe has, you know, they walk into the audience, but they're still performing. Um, you know, we, we know the difference. Mm. Um, and, and I, and I don't want, I, I don't want, I don't want any of those performers or producers suffering because suddenly a bunch of us nerds are like writing bad reviews on the fringe website <laughs> and, and, and burying them when they might actually be doing an incredible piece in that genre. Um, you know, there are people out there that are listening to this right now and listening to your podcast either for the first time or the hundredth time that are like, my God, this is the thing. This is this is where I want my world of theater to go. This is what I want to dedicate my life to. This is my found so. art form, right? And, really and, so. and to those people, I'd say like, like, like come to the fringe, man. Uh, like it's going to be, it's it, like, like this is such a great medium for you to experiment with some of these new forms. Yeah. And we will absolutely support you every step of the way. You know, just because we want, I am passionate about this. I want to see more theater like this in the world. I want my daughter to grow up with this very relevant, very in-your-face, very exper- experiential, immersive theater that has all those elements of transformation and really grabbing you where you know, where we're in touching you in 
most important parts of your soul, bringing all that out. Like, I, I think there's people out there that have got to be, be careful happy. about the grabbing and touching. Sure, when sure, it comes sure. To I backed away from that. I backed away from that. Well, like, it's, it's spiritual grabbing in a, in, a, in a good artistic transformational way. Uh, but, like, there's got to be people out there that are really into this. So I'd say, like, please talk to us about the possibilities of the fringe. Come to the fringe and experiment with these new forms, and, and we'll, we'll, we have your back. Fantastic. On that note, Ben Hill, um, thank you so much. How do people connect with The Fringe and connect with you in order to do just that? Absolutely. So our website is Hollywood Fringe, F-R-I-N-G-E. Not Hollywood Finch. Not Finch. Not Hollywood French or Prench or Prince. Side thing is that the first year we did in 2010 in our Fringe Central venue, well, for one weekend, there actually was a Hollywood French festival just up the road. So we had all these French people come and saying, yes, we've been looking for the Hollywood French. And we're like, yes, this is the Hollywood French. It's like, no, but everything is in English. I'm like, no, this is the Hollywood French. Yes, the Hollywood French. It was like Laurel and Hardy. It was, oh my it was God. hilarious. But in any case, um, HollywoodFringe.org. Uh, there's inf- a lot of information right there on the homepage of how to register our project. Um, if you have any questions, we have a support portal at support.hollywoodfringe.org. And, of course, you can email us at support at hollywoodfringe.org. And through any of these ways, we'll, we'll, we'll provide you resources and help and you know tools to be successful in the context of the fringe, to gain audience in the context of the fringe, and to, to, to make your impact. And as Noah said, there are you do not need to come in with a as a well-known entity to succeed in the fringe uh, not at all it takes like like there's like a connectors all sorts of like people that are so into the fringe and know all the people if they come see your show and they're like holy crap and they go back to fringe central or wherever people are drinking at that time and they say oh my god you should see this it spreads like wildfire fire it's like the it is like i wish i could build an algorithm for tracking these things but it, it is like social you will wildfire. One day, yeah. yeah well one day social yeah. wildfire and they become the sleeper hits of the fringe people that seem to come from absolutely nowhere and they leave with a confidence as well as a new fan base and like yeah. that's really what we want to see because first and foremost like we're a nonprofit where no one's in this to get rich we're in it for the love of the, the medium and, and the people and the community it's like that's that's our payment is people coming up to us and say you know i did the fringe and i didn't know if this was going to work and suddenly i have the confidence and the success to really make an impact in the world, in, in the world of the performing arts. And that's that's our compensation. And Ben, thank you for sitting on the Fringe, because I, I think I can say without a doubt that, you know, without the Fringe, the, the pathway that leads me to doing No Persinium probably doesn't exist. Like, even with, even though there's all these other, you know, there's all these elements of my personality, it, it was the Fringe bringing me back and grounding me in theater for a couple of years there that really was the catalyst for jumping me forward and, and, and taking this. So everybody blame Ben. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and I'm so thankful for it. So, and I guess I'll see you in June, buddy. Indeed. And thank you, Noah, for being such a supporter. And thanks to all of your audience for lasting this long. You, you did it. Uh, <laughs> and really, really hope to see you around the fringe like like it's no matter what it's going to be an experience whether you're seeing shows or, or even more importantly i'd say 
participating and, and, and producing shows at the fringe. It's it'll be something you will absolutely and positively never forget. Once again, want to thank our obviously very good friend, Ben Hill. I feel like now that I say that, I'm like, I'm sucking up. He's my good friend. It's like, no, <laughs> we're just a couple of dorks. Uh, want to thank Ben Hill for being our guest on the show today. Ben underscore Hill is how you find him on Twitter. Hollywood Fringe on Twitter. The hashtag is very important because you can see the explosion of stuff. Hashtag HFF17 is this year's hashtag. So jump on that on Twitter. Super important. And indeed, they're on, they're on Instagram and everything else as well. Um, music for this episode is by uh, the amazing, the spectacular, the uncanny, uh, the sensational. I'm trying to get all the Marvel, the astonishing um, uh, Chris Porter. <laughs> I couldn't remember any more Marvel adjectives. And yes, I did that to embarrass you, Chris, because <laughs> because I can. Um, what? I, I can. How do you contact us? How do you reach No Persinium? Uh, well, you stand outside on your porch if you have one. You look up at the full moon. Then you look at Orion and you scream the name Noah Nelson. And then I magically appear. Um, please don't try that because it really hurts the teleporting. Uh, com. I've only had one cup of coffee. I think it's just remembering the conversation I had with Ben has put me in a silly mood. Uh, NoPersinium.com is the website. At no, Someone is going to say they did that. Someone's going to I went on my porch. <laughs> it's going to be like, oh, God, what am I saying? At NoPersinium is our handle on Twitter. At Noah J. Nelson is mine. I suppose if you go on Twitter and you say that you did that, I will see you. And I'll, quote, unquote, magically appear. I'm almost crying, guys. This is ridiculous. Noah at noprosinium.com is the new email address. Ignore the old no, no underscore outlook. Done, done. It works, but done. Um, the Patreon. Again, I want to thank Nicholas Murphy, Jason Walliner, Stuart Chate, and Aaron Reynolds for jumping on this train. Uh, Set Creens out of control. Uh, <laughs> clearly, we've got 54 backers now on our March to 100 um, we can do this. I'm just, just, you know, that, that dollar, I just want that dollar. Um, so we can really show off that we've got, because actually it, it helps Here's something. It does help to have more backers when we want to book guests. And I want to show off stats and say like, look, we've got this many Patreon backers. We've got this many listeners, etc." So if you want to, if you want to get, you know, more people coming through the show, etc. nothing, it's, it's not been massive hard. I mean, hi, we had ILM last week. I mean, that's a bit of a get, right? Um, uh, and if you haven't listened to that episode, uh, we talk about the future of immersive entertainment with Vicky Dobbs Beck of uh, ILM's X Lab. So go go back in time and listen to that if you're a fringe person. Hi, fringe people. Um, the I mentioned in the show too. I'm, I'm a Warren. Um, I'm a Warren. I'm a anyway. Um, that is critical. Uh, also, when we hit the $200 mark in backings, we're going to start the schedule of video hangouts. Once a month, we'll do this road show with pictures, uh, which means I, I probably have to do something about my hair. Um, Patreon.com slash no proscenium. And of course, the Medium collection, our reviews, our essays, our more co- coherent thoughts, 
are all there. Medium.com slash no dash proscenium. That's where you find the glossary and the guides, all that stuff. The Make a Night of It series, which uh, we're going to pop off another one soon, very soon. I'll tell you what it is once it's out there. It's already written. I just got to pull the trigger on it. That's it. That's the show. I talked a lot. Um, I I actually do want to apologize for how long the opening went. I, I'm trying to keep those to like about 12 minutes and we went 17. Um, there's just a lot. And the more there is, the more I, I wind up talking. Ugh. What a horrible relationship we have. Uh, no, it's fantastic. There's a lot going on this weekend. Um, there's, uh, the episode that's coming up next. I do believe I record this Sunday. I'm excited to bring it to you. We'll talk about it when you hear the episode. We've got another one in the can. We've got a couple more, uh, on the horizon. Oh, I'm getting excited. I'm really getting excited. Um, so till that next episode, I'll see you at the show. <laughs> <laughs>